Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Vera Kwakofi, senior news editor at the BBC World Service. Vera, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Emma, for having me. So Vera, you were born in Ghana. And when you were a kid growing up, did you always have a dream of becoming a journalist? My mum says I told her that I wanted to become a journalist. I don't remember that bit. But what I do know is that from a very young age, my earliest recollections of living in our home was having the radio on, tuned to the BBC 24 hours, seven days a week. And so to some extent, I grew up in an environment where news and storytelling were a large part of my formative years, but also it gave me um, an understanding of the world. And I think I did well at at school because of that rounded knowledge. And so when it came to choosing what I wanted to do um, as I got older, it wasn't difficult for me to lean into storytelling because I felt that the kind of benefits that I had gained from listening to the radio, being a world citizen, even without leaving Ghana, was such a, a, you know, a positive thing that I needed a way to share that. So I could possibly have gone into film, but it felt like journalism um, became a more fulfilling path for me. And I think I was really lucky that in Ghana, we had a, a really strong journalism training school at the time. So it wasn't difficult to become a journalist. And um, and so when I got into journalism, it was also at a really formative time of the industry in Ghana. Uh, local media was being liberalized, um, more private ownership was being um, established. And so there were lots of places for you to become a journalist and to succeed. Well, you certainly did succeed. And today you are senior news editor at the BBC, responsible for commissioning content for Africa. Can you share some of like the big story or issues that you've been working on recently? More recently, my focus has been on how do we tell stories that give both Africans and the rest of the world an understanding of the context within which Africans have been living. Um, And so let me break that down. Um, At the BBC, one of the strands I look after is Africa Eye, which is the undercover investigative strand. Uh, It was set up in 2018. And in those four years, every year of our um, being in be of our being, we've been nominated for an international Emmy. And I'm extremely proud about that because it means that the stories we've been telling have been in dire need. We've been basically fulfilling the mission that I believe public journalism should fulfill, explaining the the context of a country or a continent to its people, holding authority to account, and giving people a chance to explore the issues that matter to them. And so the most recent one uh, for which uh, I was nominated as an editor for an Emmy was called Black Axe. And it allowed us to delve into a well-known mafia group that operates out of Nigeria called the Black Axe and to explore the ties between that and another organization, uh, which the FBI had designated a crime organization. 
them, but which has a profound effect on Nigeria because they're involved in um, kidnapping from ransom, murder for hire, um, confidence frauds. And this is an organization that's been in, um, in operation since the 70s working out of the campus, the university campus of Benin. And so getting an insight into that story was a revelation, even for Nigerians, because everybody's so afraid of the impact of this organization and nobody dares touch the story. And so we got a chance to explain to Nigerians and to the rest of Africa this phenomenon that you know, clouds university life in Nigeria, but has bled into the rest of the society and, and sort of um, grown large scales of criminality. So that was one. The other one that I felt really personal about was a film we made called Baby Steelers, which was also nominated for an Emmy. And it allowed us to go out into the streets of Nairobi and track down people who were stealing babies from um, street uh, mothers and sometimes from maternity hospitals and selling them to the highest bidder. And babies had been disappearing off the streets and off maternity hospitals, but nobody knew where they were going. So we were able to track that down and to some ways expose that lucrative trade. So those two, I think, would be the stories that um, sort of moved me the most. But the ones I um, commissioned before I came here to Yale allowed us to step back and not sort of do the investigative bit, but just stories about this about social life. So one of them was tracking uh, the story of what it's like to be an atheist in Nigeria, one of the most religious countries on the continent. It's an issue I don't think that many people consider that being an atheist could be something that is a matter of life and death. And in this case, we followed the story of the um, head of the uh, humanist movement in Nigeria who served a 25-year jail sentence for renouncing Islam because he wanted to be an atheist. Or the story of the jeweler, which is known as the African Titanic. It's been 20 years since that ship sank. 1,900 people died. It was the worst uh, non-military maritime disaster in the world. But not many people know about this story. It's a story that not even many Africans know about. I know about this story because it was one of the first stories I remember the BBC covering in my first year of joining the organization. And that story stayed with me. So 20 years on, I was in a position to um, commission, commission journalists to tell us about the survivors of that story and what happened to their quest for justice and what happened to their lives then. And I'm really glad that I've been in a position to do these kinds of stories. Really interesting. I mean, you are based in London for the BBC, and I was wondering how your experience living in both Ghana and the UK informs your perspective on the sorts of stories that you cover. I consider myself to be in a really privileged position to be able to see the continent from afar, and so it gives you a bit of a distance in how you interrogate what's going and how you represent the continent. But also I'm an insider as a Ghanaian. And so I'm able to bring a perspective that I um, know that other people who are not Ghanaian or African can a nuance, let's say, that other people can't bring to a story. So for instance, for a long time, I kept thinking, why don't I see people like myself represented in the media, in the news, either in Ghana or in the way the BBC tells stories about diaspora communities um, 
living in the UK and working in the UK because it's often very it's it's easy to disappear as a diaspora community in any country if you're not at the forefront of governance or policy or you know or, or anything well, that's huge you are, but you're just you know stormy. yeah like well exactly and Stormzy is Ghanaian by the way so <laughs> we've got a great ambassador there <laughs> And, and so um, one of the things that I feel I brought to, this, to the table was opening up diaspora storytelling in BBC Africa, because for a long time, people assumed that the two parties were separate, that the stories were about Africa or about Africans in the diaspora. But these days, they're one and the same because like me, we go back and forth. We've got this dual identity and that dual identity allows us to occupy a space that not many people represent. It also allows us to, you know, so Africans in the diaspora are becoming more and more influential in the how the continent develops by bringing back their talent, by being part of the diaspora that's, you know, creating wealth, that's influencing the, the fashion and music industry globally. And so that identity has currency. And so it was really important for me to, you know, bridge the gap and to expose that part of the storytelling. And so I think that's brought a dimension, a globality uh, uh, to the African story that I don't think existed before, probably not in quite the same way. Yeah, I assume it must be quite a challenge to cover news from Africa for a global audience. It is a challenge because if you work for a big organization like the BBC with its, um, let's say, let's use the word baggage as the British Broadcasting Corporation, if you want to spell out the name. So the first assumption that people have is that you are subservient to the British state and British ideas. The British BBC, of course, is part of the BBC's mission is to promote British values around the world. And those British values include British culture, as well as the British values for democracy, freedom of speech, and the respect of uh, people's rights around the world. And so that's inherent in the identity of the BBC. But what you we were also at pains to explain is that the BBC values is a universal value. It's a global value because the British ideals are things that we want to see reflected uh, back to us from the countries that we report from and that we cover. And so the first challenge is, you know, making sure our audiences understand that we're not a mouthpiece for the British government, that we're covering Africa from the perspective of Africans who are, you know, have agency to tell their own stories, but also reflecting the issues that the continent faces within the global context. And so what's, what's allowed that us to succeed in doing this particularly has been the vast network of African reporters, journalists and correspondents that we've got on the continent who tell the story of Africa. And so you'll notice there's been a transition from say 10 years ago where it was mostly um, white Europeans or foreigners going being the face of the BBC in Africa. Now the face of BBC in Africa is African.
And that's a great improvement because then you build in the trust because the audiences know that the people who are telling the stories are people like them who know their experience and who can reflect that. What we're also doing to journalism in Africa by giving a platform for these journalists to tell African stories is that we're globalizing the story of Africa, that Africa is not this continent that's hidden away, that it's at the heart of what the global future is going to be. Because if you think about it, by 2050, um, Af uh, Nigeria, for instance, will have the second largest population on the continent. Africa is going to have uh, 1 billion young people between 18 and 24 years. That's a huge population um, that are going to be contributing to global knowledge and growth and employment and innovation across the world. And then you've got um, other issues such as climate change, where it feels like ground zero is in Africa, but also ground zero for the issues, but ground zero for solutions is in Africa. And then you've got migration, you've got international terror. So it feels like the continent of Africa is like a microcosm of what the present and the future of the world is going to be. And it's important that those stories are integral to the solutions that we're thinking about and the global conversation and the global leadership on those themes today. And, and I hope that the stories that we're doing allows us to contextualize and place the continent in, in its place around the world, but also allow Africans to be at the forefront of leading that narrative. There are so many, you know, different cultures, different voices in Africa. Yeah. Do you deliberately set out to try and ensure this coverage of different places, different peoples, or do you find yourself driven or responding to big events? It's a dilemma that we face on a day-to-day -day basis because global events drive the news agenda. So, you know, um, if the US is having an elections, other stories take a backseat because of the global appetite and the outsized influence of, you know, that news and that story around the world. So what we try to do at BBC Africa is tell the US election story from how its policies affect the continent, allow us to evaluate what the impact has been of, you know, the, the um, um, American administration on Africa. That way we're giving actually to BBC audiences a 360 view of the American story. So the American story is not just what's coming out of Washington. The American story is what's coming out of the continent of Africa, how Asia sees the US elections, how the Middle East sees the US elections, how Latin America sees the US elections. And I think that's the beauty of the World Service. The other tension we face is trying to make the newsrooms in the BBC understand the importance of an African story. Because I think newsrooms are still prejudiced and in, in the sense that if it bleeds, it leads. And it's still very prevalent today, even though we've tried to change that perception of what makes a leading news story. And so you often find that if it's a big disaster, it will lead. 
And so part of my job uh, every day when I go to morning news meetings is to contextualize events that are not sort of big disasters that are happening in Africa, whether it's political, whether it's economic, whether it's social, to other news editors and explain to them why it matters for the audiences in Africa, but also why it matters for the rest of the world to be aware of why this development happening. So things like when the Africa Free Trade Agreement was ratified, we were at pains to create content and to message quite heavily within the BBC so that it will be part of the news bulletin's agenda, as well as you know news programming agenda, um, because we had to tell them the importance of having a continental free trade agreement that was potentially going to create a huge trading block that would be um, you know, creating one voice to negotiate at WTO level. And it also was at a time where Brexit um, was prominent and the UK government was trying to uh, sign deals with different uh, parties, separate parties around the world. So we could make that link about how, you know, uh, Britain's, um, Britain's approach to international trade agreements and treaties tied up with what it could potentially do with the African Continental Free Trade Agreement going forward versus, you know, the deals that you have with the European Union. So it's about how you contextualize a story. Sometimes it's difficult to get heard in on a very busy news day, but we try and do our best to make sure that the African story is considered at the top of the agenda. You know, the BBC World Service has a big place in my heart because I remember when I was in my early 20s traveling through Africa and the one piece of equipment I took with me was a shortwave radio so that each day I could tune into Africa today and today in the United States I start each day by listening to the BBC World News podcast. I think you know I like many people the BBC World Service really has an emotional connection. But journalism is evolving, things are changing. Is the World Service able to keep adapting to stay at the forefront of these changes? The BBC World Service, I think, is in the right place at the right time, particularly at a time where the biggest existential threat, I suppose, to um, journalism is truth and the battle over what is truth through misinformation and disinformation. And if you have an organization like the BBC whose core value is built on the trust of the audiences through factual journalism and fact-based storytelling, it's essential that its its survival, I think, is essential to the world and for us to preserve. But there are other things that the BBC, I think, is doing that is allowing it to embrace the times. Um, And so you may have heard recently the BBC announced a big drive into digital storytelling and that in some parts of the world, we're going to pivot from linear broadcasting to a more digitally um, focused storytelling and platforms. And that's because we understand that, you know, probably less, well, in in, in the US and the UK, some t- traditional television viewing is still common. But in many, many parts of the world, people 
don't own a television set, don't watch TV on appointment, TV programs on appointment. There's no more appointment viewing. Everybody is on the move and they're consuming content on their mobile phone. And so how do you make sure that the great stories you're telling, the great content you're making is reaching the people in the way that they consume them? Most people, particularly in Africa, for instance, you might not know this, but their first interface with the internet is Facebook because there, um, a lot of the phones that are used on continent, techno and um, uh, is it, uh, in, Inix and um, all the other phones that are used on the continent, they have a browser, which is Facebook, that links you to the internet. So for many people, the internet is synonymous with Facebook. And so if that's their first interface with the World Wide Web, you will have to struggle to get them off that to explore what else is available around that. And so you've got to meet this. So we've got content on Facebook, but also we have to find a way of bringing people through Facebook to the BBC to and you know to experience the vast array of news and storytelling and content. The other thing that the BBC I think does that um, is unique is the fact that we operate in 40 languages around the world and we found that consuming news in people's first language allows them to have a better understanding of the story and to engage better. And I think that gives you that depth and relationship, that emotional attachment that you say you have to the BBC because people consume the news and the world in a language that is primary to them. And so they have an ownership of that story and they have a personal relationship with the journalist telling that story. And so we want to continue to build that, but we have the additional challenge, but our, our, our new challenge is funding all of this. Um, as you know from other newsrooms, um, money is very tight these days. And so like other organizations, the BBC is having to make cuts to its operations to be able to continue to fund what it currently does. And so unfortunately, it means that the BBC can't be everything to everybody. And so what we want to try and do is reach people where they are, give them the best original journalism, and allows, that allows them to have a meaningful um, perspective of their lives as well as the world around them. And we hope that, you know, we are leading in some of the technological advancements, particularly digital transformation that's happening across the world through the consumption of our journalism. It's, it's difficult, but yes, we're trying as much as we can. So Vera, I know that, you know, many young people would love to be you. <laughs> Any advice you can give to aspiring journalists? You always have to have two things, a passion for storytelling and an interest in the people around you and the world around you. You can always learn the craft on the job. But at the heart of it, you've got to be able to you've got to be able to identify what makes a story. And that comes from having an interest in people, having an interest in situations, making connections, wanting to find out why this happens the way it is, 
and how you can give a platform for the people who are at the heart of the story to tell their story and to interrogate that story. And so bringing that passion and that curiosity and that interest in the world around you together, I think, sets you off on a winning path so that whatever small corner you're in, you will always have um, a platform for strong journalism. For st- so even whether you're on Yale campus or whether you, you're in a BBC newsroom, you always find good stories to tell. Thank you, Vera, and best of luck for the future. Thank you very much, Emma, for having me, and thank you to the Well Fellows Programme.